0: Volunteers there. One of ones, right okay, there. all right, very good. Good evening, and it's good to be with you again. This evening, we'd like to uh, we'd like to look at how Satan is a liar, and he's the father of lies. And if he can get man, mankind, to believe lies about God, he has a huge step in the right direction for getting us to not live uh, flourishing and healthy lives. So we want to look at at how wrong concepts of God really create problems for us. Uh, last evening, we talked about the, the three foundations of love, belonging, and significance, and how that came out of what Jesus heard from his Father. So I put up on here, there's a, uh, whoops, I don't know what happened there, but... Okay, let's try it again here. Okay, there's a, uh, there's a URL for a Tim Keller teaching called the struggle for love. I use some of his teachings in counseling and this is one that has been very, very effective. And so if you care to, if you you struggle with how you're dealing with life and struggling with your concept of whether you feel loved and cared for, I think this is a teaching that could really bless you. So I'm not sure if if uh, if you want that, you can get it later. Uh, you can just come up and ask for it. You can take a picture of it or whatever with your cell phone. But it's, uh, it's a teaching I would highly recommend. It talks about, it talks about how dysfunctional uh, some families were in the scriptures. It, well, basically one. Okay, Abraham, God told Abraham, I'm going to raise up from you a seed that will keep on going and the Messiah will come from you. And there will be one person through each each of those, your, 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 uh, proge- your progeny, that would be in line with the, the Messiah. So he had, he, uh, he had Isaac, the, the son of promise, and Isaac married Rebekah. How many of you think that Isaac and Rebekah had a good marriage? Well, we know the home life was not, uh, not overly healthy because there was favoritism there. There was Jacob and there was Esau, and Esau was Rebecca, uh Jacob was uh, Isaac's favorite, and Rebecca was, she favored Jacob. And so you had this tension going on. And then, of course, you had the, the, the blessing that was to go to, to Jacob by God's ordination, but because of Isaac's preference over Esau, he wanted to give it to Esau. And so we see how they that was orchestrated in a very difficult way and it created tension. But also that favoritism created unhealthy children. And then, can you imagine what it was like to be Esau? Okay, we, we don't think highly of him, but can you imagine what it was like to be him? Loved by dad, maybe not so much by mom. What do you think it was like being Jacob, being a mama's boy, not really cared for by dad? You see, it created tension. I remember one time I was teaching and I mentioned I said what does, what does uh, uh, favoritism do in, in the home and one man in the, in the congregation he just blurted out it makes you angry <laughs> I think he knew what he was talking about and, and you see it was, it was an unhealthy environment so then Jacob you, you know his story and then he gets married and he gets married to he thought he was getting married to Rachel and he ended up Marrying Leah first. Why? Because the deceiver got deceived. And and so you end up watching Jacob have to walk through a process of getting to know God. He He started making pillars or monuments. But he never made an altar until it came down to the very end. Where he actually understood that he needed to see God for who he truly was. And you just see all the mistakes that went along with that. But then you see how, what, how do you think it would have been like, you gals, what do you think it would have been like to be Leah? How, do you, how would you like to be Leah? But maybe, what do you think it would have been like to be Rachel? Okay, you see the tension and the brokenness. And, and so that, that teaching up there talks about that family struggle. And it was a struggle for love, belonging, acceptance. And so that's, that's, what, what, that's what that's about. This evening we want to look at at, uh, at our, our concept of God. So I ask the question, who is God to you? And you might think, well, that's a strange question because God is God. But I can promise you that God is not the same to everybody. Everybody's concept of God is very different. Your concept of God might be very different from your mate's concept of God or your fellow brother or sister in the church. All because of life experience and difficulties. And so, we're created, you are created, I am created in the image of God, which means we are an image bearer, and it is highly problematic to be created in the image of God and have wrong concepts of who He is. Can, can you see that? For us to be created in His image, to be created to be an image bearer, and to be an image reproducer, to, to you know, replenish the earth with more of God's image... But when we have, when the enemy gets the, the image of God damaged in our lives, it creates havoc and it gets passed on generationally. It's what I see over and over again. This to me is probably the number one problem that I've run into in dealing with hurting people is wrong concepts of God. So let's, let's take this journey a bit. On the handout, and, and I'm, we're not going to spend time going over the handout, so what I would like you to do is just read it on your own on the, on the one side, it talks about uh, wrong concepts of God. I, there, I'm going to have one of these for each evening that talks about, uh, it's a write-up about what that topic is, is like. On, on the other side of that, it says God's God's ways. How does God function in the affairs of men? I would really encourage you to read that on your own um, because, you see, we have different concepts of God, and we have we don't quite get a good idea of how He works, and so I put together this write-up so that maybe, and you might have differences of your thinking on this, but you see, what is providence? Let's just look at it briefly here. We have this thought that God only shows up in the spectacular, which is a deeply flawed view of God. So you ever, you know, and here's something I think we need to be careful about. Uh, We prayed for this person and they were healed. God showed up. And do you ever hear people say that? Man, we had a, you know, God answered our prayer and, and, and this person was healed. Uh, um, I, I understand, I understand. When, when you pray for somebody and they're healed, you get excited, don't you? What about the person who's sitting right next to you and they prayed for, the same, for, for another person and they weren't healed? Did, did God not show up? You see, you run into that a lot. And I've, I've heard those stories and sat there and said, well, yeah, God healed them. He didn't heal us. He didn't heal our situation. And, and we, they, they prayed, and they just believed that God would heal them, and then he didn't. Well, didn't God show up? You see, it causes us to really look at God and say, okay, where is he? What's he like? Why didn't he? Shouldn't he have? So God is typically in a non-spectacular. So as we, I, I would encourage you to look over that. It's, to me, it's, it can be a very helpful way of understanding how God functions in our world. Um, maybe, maybe I'd like just to over one more thing. If you look down to like the third paragraph, it says, Every decision ripples through countless numbers of lives, and we're caught up in this flowing current. God has built the universe on the concept of free will and choice. What I do today is going to matter. Okay, this is so important. What you do today is going to matter. Not only to matter to me, but to others as well as generations to follow. It might matter in the next five minutes, the five years, or 25 years. My job is to recognize that it does matter. Every decision we make has an impact. It ripples. It's like dropping a a stone in a quiet pond and it just ripples out. Everything we do has an impact. And God made us, he, he gave us choice. And he gave his angelic world choice. And his creation has the option of rebelling. And some of the angelic realm rebelled and many of us rebel. And the majority of men rebel. But, you see, God chose not to make us robots. He chose to give us free will because God is a God of freedom. And that's a powerful thought. And I, I, I took off some of the material that I had on here on predestination and, and, and foreknowledge. Because, you see, God does know everything. And is everything predestined? No, it's not. Does he have the foreknowledge of everything? He does, and an, an interesting uh, illustration of that is David at Kyla. Do you remember when David was at Kyla and the and and uh, he had he was inside that walled city, and Saul heard about it, and Saul goes, "Yippee, we got him now, and we can go down there. We can surround that city. We got David. He can't get out. He can't get away." And somebody showed up in the in the in the. One of David's men showed up in the town, and he had the, he had the ephod. And David asked God, he says, God, will, will Saul come to get me? And God says, yes, he will come to get you. Will the men of the city turn me over to Saul? Yes, the men of the city will turn you over to Saul. Okay, see, God foreknew what would happen. So can you tell me what happened? Does anybody know what happened? David got out of there to save his own neck. You see, foreknowledge didn't mean it was predestined to happen. We have choices to make. And God will work out everything in accordance to his will, regardless of our decision-making or not. But he gives us free choice. And our choices will, will ripple down through and impact the people around us. We'll touch more on that later this evening. So who is God to you? Uh, our wrong concepts damage our lives. Satan's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's the deceiver. He's the accuser of the believer. And Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And I am the truth. So Jesus is the one who sets us free. He says, if you're my disciples, you'll know the truth and you will be free indeed. And, and that's one of the things that I believe so strongly. And it's one of the reasons why I really appreciate the ability or the opportunity to teach this week. Uh, I believe that the truth of God's word will set people free. I believe that with all my heart. I watch counseling taking over. We send lots of people to counselors, and I'm not against people going to counseling. I, I, I don't like counselors, although I is one. Okay. You see, I don't think that God's plan was for a lot of counselors. I believe the plan was for... For, God to, for, for men to be spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, and they would give good counsel. I believe God's intent was for people to be healed in church. We'll go over that throughout this week here. I've, there's going to be some teaching on that. But I believe that the truth, the truth, and, and so much of counseling helps people cope. And Jesus didn't say the truth will help you cope. He says the truth will set you free. And I believe that that's, that's God's plan. He wants us free, and he wants us free indeed. Jesus says, this is eternal life. Who, who, who can tell me what comes next? What is eternal life? Jesus is defining eternal life. This is eternal life. What? Who can tell me? Some of you know. Yeah, well, it's, yes, you're, you're right on track. It's that they may know you, uh-huh, and that will give you life, but they might know you, the only true God, and your son, whom you've sent. Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Here's, here's what I see. We've grown up in church settings and we learn a lot about God, but we don't ever really, sometimes we never get to, to know God, to know him. Knowing God is eternal life. So don't, doesn't, that, doesn't that really prompt you to say, well, then I better know God. I better know Jesus if that's eternal life. I better put a lot of my focus into getting to know God. Yeah. Who is he? What's he like? Is he a stern judge, a creator, unlimited source of all that is? And I put this in yellow because I've had people tell me these things. Well, he's a sovereign who created us and then told us to worship him. We don't have any choice. If we want to get to heaven, we just got to do what he says. He's a dictator. He's a manipulator. Is he? No, he's not. But you see, when you're hurting and people have come up with these ideas, I've 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 already sat with people and asked them if they could... You know, could could I have you ask Jesus for some things about something? And I might give some illustrations later on. And I've had people say, no, no. And I say, well, okay, can I pray for you? Yeah, that's okay. But you see, I've had people tell me, I can't pray to God. Because Jesus said to call him Father. And and I didn't have a good father. So when I think of God, I, I don't have good thoughts. And yet, they're believers, and you, and you look at them, and you never know. You see, there's wrong concepts of God that keep us bound. Is he an all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present? Is he sovereign? Is he loving? Yeah, all those things. But then the question comes up, if he's all that, then why evil and suffering? You see, that's the common question all the time. And that's why I, I would sort of like to encourage you to read, why, How Does God Function in the Affairs of Men?, he gave us free will to choose, okay, and we can rebel, and that rebellion creates problems. We'll look at some more of that. Is he like my dad? Wow. Boy, do I run into that over and over again. I remember a number of years ago, we, we do encourage men, and a young, uh, a young man came up to me. and says, would you talk to my brother? He's getting married in two weeks and he shouldn't be getting married, but you talk to my brother, and I said, you know, my schedule is so full, I can't take on somebody else, he just begged me, and begged me to talk to him, and I, I finally said, well, you know, if he would come early one morning, but he has to bring his girlfriend along, if he's getting married in two weeks, she has to hear what's going on, and she has to know what's happening, so one morning, I don't know, it was seven thirty, eight o'clock, they came, and we met upstairs in our barn, and, uh, and we just sat at the table there and I said tell me why you're here and he was a he was like he was probably six one six two really uh, the fine specimen of manhood he is he's good looking and and there he sat on one end and she sat across the table from me and I said so tell me why you're here and he's and he just started spewing hatred and anger Anger at the church, anger at his dad, anger at his mom, in fact, hatred of his dad and mom. Because, you see, they were always trying to catch him doing something wrong, and they would, that was pretty often. And whenever, they would, whenever he did something wrong, his dad would give him 39 lashes with a leather belt. And when mom thought he was doing something wrong, she would tell dad... And then dad would give him another 39 lashes. So he was getting a lot of 39 lashes with a leather belt. He hated his dad and he hated his mom. And I just I just saw that. It was just, it, it just oozed out of his pores. I mean, and I didn't know what to do. He just sat there and he and he kept telling me story after story after story. And I usually sit there and make notes and I just quit making notes. I just sat there going, I don't know what to do with this. And finally, when he was done, I said, could I ask you to ask Jesus something and he goes sure and so I said well close your eyes and I'll give you the words to say and I start I just simply said I said uh, Jesus are you like my daddy and and you know he just all of a sudden he folded his hands and his and he crossed his arms down on that table and his head banged against his his forearm and he just started sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and and wailing. Grace was outside in the garden and she could hear him wailing and crying out in the garden. We were upstairs in the barn. And this went... This just, I don't know how long it was, probably not as long as it seemed, but I can tell you it seemed like a long time. And I was sitting there, and after he was telling me all this, I was going to ask her for her father's phone number, and I was going to call her dad and say, please don't let your daughter marry this man. This is, this is going to not end well. So finally his sobs subsided, and he, and he lifted his head, and he said, Jesus told me, I'm not like your daddy. And his face was changed. The anger was gone. There was a, a calmness and a peace there like I had never seen before. And I didn't do anything except ask him to ask Jesus if he's like my daddy. Bless you, Don. Dan? Yeah. Okay, Dan. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and you know what? They're married like five years. They have children. They, they live out west now. They work from around here. They live out west. And, you know, they come back at Christmas and they take Grace and I out to eat. They call us mom and dad. And, and, they, re- and they have a good marriage and it, it's going well. You see, it's interesting. You see, when the truth sets you free, you're free indeed. You know, it didn't teach him how to cope. But you see, all of a sudden, you see, he could, all he could think about was God was like my daddy. Uh-huh. Yeah. How can I know? Yeah, we're ever in danger of abandoning God for, from our idea of Him. Daddies are pretty great, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Sure. So our idea of God and what He is like come primarily from the authority relationships in our life. Can, can we get that? You see, as especially dads, but dads and moms, because we're created in God's image and we create more, our children in God's image, we get to write the image of God on our children's lives. We get to write the concept of God on our children's lives. That's so important for us to realize. And I believe as a grandpa, I get to write the image of of God on my grandchildren's lives. I really believe that. You see, if you have healthy authorities, a balance of truth and love, and balance of discipline and grace, then, then you can probably have a healthy concept of God. If you have a detached one, Neglectful or permissive or performance-driven, demanding, confrontational, harsh, verbally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, absent, physically, emotionally, disconnected. You see, if you have those, your concept of God's probably going to line up with the authority figure in your life, your dad, your mom. Yeah, and you heard me tell a little story or two yesterday, but what what if your dad was just simply bad? What if he was just evil? And what do you, how, do you, how do you wrap your brain around who God is? And it took quite a while to get that gal to see God as somebody that she could maybe trust. Yeah. Where can we go to correct our concept of God, our wrong concepts? Where can we go? Well... Moses, David, and Paul reference God's self-description in Exodus 34 as the source for their concepts of God. And that's where we're going to go this evening too. Because in Exodus 34, God shows Moses. He answers Moses' request. So let's keep looking at some things here. In Exodus 31, verse 11, it says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Do you think Moses knew God? Do you think Moses knew God? Sure seems like that. Do you think God knew Moses? Absolutely, he knows all of us. But when I think of God and Moses speaking face to face, you'd think that, that, yeah, God would know Moses, Moses would know God. But look what comes up here. Moses said to the Lord, you have said I know you by name and you found favor with me. Now, if you go back and realize right what happened before here, Moses was up in the mountain, God was giving him the law and there was a bunch of noise down in camp and God says, you better get down there. And he goes down there, and there Aaron had made him a golden calf, and they were dancing and carrying on. And, and wow, it is unbelievable. I just read it this morning again in preparation for here. Because, you see, they were dancing, and they were, they were wild. There was, there was lots of gr- gross stuff going on. And Moses said, whoever's on the Lord's side, come over here. And the Levites came. And he says, strap on your sword and go through the camp and kill your brothers, your sisters, and your relatives. And that's what they did. Can you imagine? Now, Can you imagine? I read that and I'm going, no, wait a minute. I can read that and I go, oh, I'm just reading it. But what if I was there? What if he would have asked me to step out? Could have I grabbed a sword and, and started killing my own relatives? What if they were my own family? You see, horrible things were going on here. But that sanctified, that that pulled apart the, the Levites as set apart for God. And then here God told, him, God told Moses, he says, get away from these people. I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start fresh with you. And Moses became, as a type of Christ, he became an intercessor. And he asked, he says, God, don't do this. He says, don't do this. You'll, all the nations around will know that your, your way didn't work, and they're going to they're make a mockery of this. And so God says, okay, but he says, Moses, you take the people and, go, and you go, but I am not going, you, you take them to the promised land, but I am not going with you. Before he said, I'm my, the, and, and then so Moses said, well, if you don't go with me, I don't want to go anywhere either, because how else will the people know that we're your people unless you go with us? And so that's when we're picking up here. Moses said to the Lord, You said I know you by name. You found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways that I may know you. Now look what he says there. You hear that? Teach me your ways that I may know you. I spent, years ago, this put me on a journey. This goes back 30, 35, 40 years. I don't remember. But somebody put me into reading these chapters, 33 and 34. I spent six weeks Reading this specific chapter over and over and over again. There was something here I wanted. And I didn't, you know, I read scripture and I don't know if if you're that same way. I can read something and I read it again and again and all of a sudden things jump out at me that I never saw before. But I started making this prayer my prayer Father, show me your way that I may know you. You see, Moses wanted to know God. And Jesus now says, eternal life is knowing God. So I started praying, show me your way. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you ask. I will show you my way. And there's this little innocuous verse in Psalm 103, verse 7. It says, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts unto the sons of Israel. Yes, very, very interesting how there's a difference between God's acts and his ways. People want, the children of Israel, well, they wanted to see his acts. They wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to see the miraculous. That's where this writing says God doesn't always work in the spectacular. In fact, rarely he does. He often works in the ordinary. But they wanted the spectacular. And they got some of the spectacular. Spectacular but it didn't change them. Spectacular miracles will not change you, but knowing God's ways will change you. And I want to know his ways. You see, if you, if you get his blessing, if you always say, bless me, bless me, bless me, and you get the blessings, you might get the blessing, but you might get leanness to your soul. But if you get to know God's ways, you'll walk in them. You'll know that it's, it's the ways that God wants you to walk. So in Hebrews, look what it says in Hebrews. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like you did did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years and saw what I did. You see, they saw what I did. What did they see? Come on, tell me. What what, what did they see? Red sea part? Come on. Water out of a rock, manna from heaven, heaven. closed in, wear out, quail, miraculous stuff. Over, 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 and over again, he says, they saw what I did. But he says, they hardened their hearts. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. Let's read the next together. And they have not known my ways. You see that? They saw the miraculous, but they did not know God's ways. And because of that, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter in my, into my rest. Hebrews three is a is a Hebrews three and four. Hebrews is a very important book to know, and study to know God's ways. So I declared in my anger. Then Moses said, then Moses said, He said, Show me your ways that I may know you. And he also told God, he said, if you don't take me, if you're not going with me, I don't want to go anywhere. And then because he asked this, God says, I will do what you ask. The angel of my presence will go with you. And I was looking into that this morning. I don't have time to go there. Now we'll run out of time here. I better keep rolling. But he's now, now Moses said, now show me your glory. Can you imagine the audacity of Moses? He says, show me your ways that I may know you. He's talking to God. And now, then after God says, okay, I'll do that. I'll, I'll show you my ways. Now he says, now show me your glory. And God says, okay, meet me at the top of the mountain. And, and I st- one time I was reading it and I started chuckling because I had never seen this before. But can you imagine? Moses, God said to Moses, he says, He says, meet me at the top of the mountain, and by the way, bring along two tablets of stones like the ones I made and you broke. And I got to thinking about this. God did not punish Moses for breaking those tablets that he made, but he disciplined him. That's the difference between discipline and punishment. I can just imagine, you see, because... He broke those stones because he got angry at the same thing God gets angry at. Sometimes I think God's people don't get angry enough at the things God gets angry at. But Moses was angry at them partying and carrying on in in the golden calf. And he threw those stones down. Now God's saying, hey, listen, Moses, next time don't let your emotions get the best of you. Don't let your anger get the best of you. I made those stones, and I could just see, what made me chuckle is I could, he says, meet me at the top of the mountain tomorrow morning, but by the way, bring along two tablets of stone, like the ones I made and you broke, and I can just see him that night sitting there with a hammer and chisel going ching, 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 carving out two more tablets of stone, and then I could see him the next day going, why didn't I not break, why, why did I break those stones? You see, God disciplined him, and God disciplines us. It wasn't punishment. Anyway, that was a bunny trail, but he says, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I think we're, yeah, we got to keep rolling here. I'm going to declare my name, the Lord. The, The name of God is his glory. God's glory is his name. Okay, it's so important for us to see this. Psalm 9 verse 10 it says those who know your name will trust in you for you Lord have never forsaken those who seek you he says those who know your name will trust in you knowing God's name is so important we're going to learn about God's name this evening he says that in Psalm in Proverbs 18 10 it says the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous run into it and are saved does anybody know that song The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. It's a beautiful song. And it just, yeah. And then blessed be the name of the Lord. It's just just a powerful, beautiful song. But the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into his name and they're safe. Why? Because his name has value. It has power. It has meaning. And we're going to look at that. In Exodus 20, verse 7, it says, You shall not take the name of your Lord, Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You know, I've heard that taught all my life, and you probably have too, that that means using God's name carelessly or using it as swear words. And it grieves me. I think it probably grieves you when you hear the world use God's name in vain, you know, and they, you know, use just in swearing and carrying on like that. But I'd like to challenge you that this, this commandment here, does not mean that. I've heard it taught that way all my life. But I'm going to challenge you just, just to think it of it a little bit differently. Yeah. He says it, it's, one, it's, a, it's a command that God puts a real serious statement on. He says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Has anyone here taken another's name? Can I see your hand? Are you married? Did you take his name? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. You took his name, didn't you? You stole it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, you see, if you're married, the wife took the husband's name. You see, you, you now, instead, Grace now was a reed instead of a stump. Okay? Now she took my name. And now she was a reed. And so what does that mean? Well, by marriage, yes. But all of us by birth. You see, when I was born, I became a reed. My mother was an ebling, but I didn't become an ebling. I did by bloodline, but I became a reed by name. And you see, that is status. It means I belong to the reeds. You belong to whatever your last name is. But it means more than that. It means function. It means reputation. Oh, you know what those reeds are like or Martins, or Zimmermans, or whatever, okay? You know what they're like. Well, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, okay? So you see, it's, it's not only, it's function, it's, it's reputation, and that's where we have a choice. We can make decisions that, that cause our name to be valued and represented so somebody says, well, yeah, man, if he's behind that, I'm, I'm, I'm behind it too. Let's go. Okay, you see, value, representation. And being created in God's image, we are his representatives. Okay? And so what by rebirth, when we receive Christ, it means that we now belong to him and we take his name. And it means that we belong to him and we will represent him and it will have a our our life will have an impact on his reputation. How many of you know that Christians don't have the greatest reputation in our world today? Okay? Not very good at all. Why? Because people who take the name of Jesus, do not they take it in vain. Okay? That's what this, that's what this scripture means. So here, that, that to take is a strong word. I... I I, somebody put me on this a couple of months ago, and man, I, I, I've been chewing on this and digging on this, because I, I, at first I go, nah, are you sure? But look, look Strong's number is 5,375, and I, I love doing Bible studies like this, but it means, that it's a primitive root, but it, look what it means, it's, and, and those words in, the, in bold down below are how it's used in the scriptures, to accept, to advance, to bear, to carry, to hold up, to wear, honorable, It even means to marry, okay? To magnify, to raise, to receive. Isn't that interesting? That's what it means, that word take. It means to bear that name, to carry that name, to marry that name. We're the bride of Christ, you see. Here's how it's used in the Old Testament. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will—and this is that same word—to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece. He was to write their, their, the twelve tribes on his on his breastpiece. Whenever he enters the presence of the Lord, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over the heart over his heart before the Lord. Isn't that interesting? And so in Joshua it says, take up, it means to bear, the Ark of the Covenant, pass over before the people, they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and then thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant. To take means to bear, to accept, to to carry. So to take or bear Jesus' name, we become Christians, right? In Antioch, that's where they, because they, they took on the name of Jesus. They took his name. It means to be an extension of that name, to be responsible for his reputation, to be his proxy, to be his representative. And that's what it means to take the name of God. And when we take his name, and, and every single one of you who have accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you have taken on the name of God. You've taken on his name. Now, if we go out there, and in our business dealings, we do shady business dealings. And if we get angry, and we get, instead of a righteous anger, we get angry at people, and we we rip into people, you just just pay attention to the scriptures, and especially in the New Testament scriptures, the Gospels. Paul's teaching. He's teaching us to bear God's name responsibly. Okay? To be kind one to another, loving, tenderhearted, Uh, yeah, you see, we're supposed to bear his name. That's so important. And then, so here we go. God says, I'm going to declare my name to you. And so he came down, the Lord came down, and he proclaimed his name to Moses. The Lord, the Lord. It's Yahweh, Yahweh, or Jehovah, Jehovah. So what do you think the number one word is? That, that is used to describe, that God himself uses to describe himself. What do you think the number one word is? Anyone want to guess? Do you remember? In the King James, it is merciful. In the NIV, it's compassionate. Okay? A couple years ago, I, a pastor called me and asked if I would come down and meet with some of other of, of people. They had a, a weekend meeting, and it had just really brought out some interesting things, and he asked if I would meet with some couples. It was a marriage retreat. And I remember sitting in his office, and in, in walks in this uh, older couple, sh- short like me, uh, just really cute little couple, and uh, I had known him somewhat, I'd never met her before. And they walked in, she was just this very pleasant person, and they sat down, and I said, so, tell me why you're here. and. The husband said, well, he says, my wife told me that I'm married to an angry woman, and I never knew that before. Okay, they're gray-haired, they're empty nesters. Their children are raised and gone. And he's saying, my wife told me I'm married to an angry woman, and I never knew that before. That's pretty good deception, wasn't it? So I looked at her and said, so are you angry? And she goes, "Mm mm-hmm. She had this smile on her face. She goes, "Mm mm-hmm. So I said, so why are you angry? And you know that smile went away? And she goes, because my dad was angry. He would beat the cows and he would beat us. And one time when I was 13 years old, he yanked me naked out of the shower and beat me. And I asked her, I said, so when you think of God, what do you think of? And it just, it, here's what it went. It, it, this was a response. He's an angry someone up there somewhere. Her, fa- her hand went up and her finger went up. She goes, he's an angry someone up there somewhere. Okay, now I got a question to ask you. This woman is an empty nester. She's been married many years. She has grandchildren. She raised her children. Tell me what kind of relationship she had with God. Huh? Tell me, what do you think it was like? Do you think she could read the Bible? Do you think she could pray? It's like that text I read to you that I got the, two days ago. I haven't read my Bible in years. You see, because of the hurt and pain that comes, because he had an angry dad, and she, when she, he, God, to her, was an angry, uh, angry someone up there somewhere. Years ago, I was co-pastoring a church, and, and I was teaching through knowing God. And I was talking about God as being father. Now, I had, a, I had a very loving, kind, and yet very strict dad. Eddie remembers him well, I think. Um, but he was very kind, very, but, but he was also a very strict father. But I love my dad. But I was, I was preaching, I was teaching and preaching about God as father. So, on the way home from church afterwards, Grace says, they're not getting it. That's exactly what you want to hear from your wife after you've had a sermon, right, Lester? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean they're not getting it? She goes, well, when I think of God, this is my wife. This is many years ago. She says, when I think of God, I think of, I think of somebody up there with a big stick just waiting for me to get out of line so he can hit me. But that came from her dad. Eddie would know her dad, too. But you see, isn't it interesting how we get our concept of God? That was my wife saying that. And she goes, I know those people. They're not getting it either. I know what kind of parents they had. I know what, they're th- what they think. And you know, I, that changed the way. I, I change, it, it's where this teaching came out of. I, 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 know, I knew we had to start correcting the concepts of God so people would know who he really is. Because if they don't, all they do is go through the motions. Because if Jesus says this is eternal life, that they might know you the only true and living God, then we better get our concept of who God is right. So the very first word that that God uses to describe himself is compassionate. What I did is is I I opened my Bible and I don't know, you won't be able to see it, but here's here's Exodus 34. Maybe you can a little bit, but I write with a highlighter and Exodus 34 is all covered with highlighters because I camped out here years ago because I wanted to make sure I knew who God was and what he was really like. Hey. And I opened my Bible, this one right here. I laid it on her lap and I said, I would like you to read. And I, I, I said, starting here. So she started reading. And I said, I want you to read very slow and I'll probably stop you. And she started out, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. I said, aren't you glad and I ask you the same question. Aren't you glad that God is a compassionate and a gracious God? Aren't you glad that that's the kind of God? And that's his, these are the first words that God uses to describe himself. Doesn't come any more direct than this. Slow to anger. And when she read that, I stopped her. I said, why don't you read that again? I said, do you hear what God is saying? He is not like your daddy. He is slow to anger. He is slow to anger. Abounding in love. Abounding in faithfulness. When he says it, he will do it. He carries things out. Maintaining love to thousands. There's got to be a big stick in here, right? A big stick's coming somewhere, isn't it? Forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. I chewed on this for a while aren't those all sin forgiving iniquity rebellion and sin and i got to chewing on this and i started looking up the meaning of the words and here's here's where it comes from iniquity is iniquity is the perversity that we are born with our fallen nature and it is it is our selfishness our self-centeredness is there anybody here that's not selfish hands up please (laughs) I am. It's our fallen nature is to be self-centered. And the best definition that I can find is in Isaiah 53, verse 6, where it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Remember that one? All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. And the Lord God laid upon the Son the iniquity of us all. God, Jesus, God sent Jesus down here. Jesus came to save us from ourselves. He came to save us from our self-centeredness, ourselves. When we realize that, it starts changing us. There's a teaching that I, I call it the other side of Job. What, what was God after in Job? Job was perfect in all his ways, in his words, in his actions. He did not sin, but he was terrifically self-centered and selfish. And God was after that in him. And you get to the end of the book of Job and you see, He says, he claps his hand over his mouth. He says I, I, he says, I used to hear about you, but now I see you and I repent. You see, God came to... And, and Paul says that he came to redeem us from all iniquity. That's in the New Testament. That's that, and, and that word iniquity means lawlessness. It's anomia. Nomia is law, ah means without, ah nomia. It's it's lawlessness. And Jesus came to save us from going our own way, our lawlessness. Jesus says in, 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 in his teaching, he says, many will come to me in that day and they will say unto me, Lord, Lord, haven't we done many wonderful works? Haven't we cast out demons in your name? Haven't we prophesied in your name? And Jesus will say to them what? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You see, they were doing it because they wanted attention. They were taking the credit for the things that—that that was really the power of God and the power of, of the Holy Spirit—and they were taking credit for it. So here, when we look at iniquity, iniquity is the motive. It's—it's it's why we do what we do. And listen, and then the, the rebellion is the attitude. You know, we're just rebellious. We want to do it our way. And then sin is the action. It's the act that we sin with. And listen to what, look at, the, look at the impact of this. God forgives not only the sin that we do, he forgives the motive and the attitude that we do it in. Isn't that amazing? He cleanses us. It says if we confess our sin, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sin, the act, and to cleanse us from our motive and our attitude. He totally redeems us. He cleanses us. That's who Jesus is. His blood cleanses us from our self-centered righteousness. Wow. But he goes on, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. You know, brothers and sisters, as I've worked with hurting people over the years, to me, this is what we're dealing with. We are dealing with generational iniquities that have been passed down generationally. Uh, that's, that's a whole other teaching on generational iniquities, but we're not going to go there tonight. But it's a powerful one. People say, well, there's scripture that tells us that that doesn't impact us anymore. No, it, it, there, it, it doesn't teach that. It, sh- it, it, it reaffirms that. And there's ways of dealing with those generational iniquities. But God wants us to confess it, acknowledge it. And going through my grandparents' things and my parents' things, my, my mom was a very sickly child, and my grandma took her to be powwowed over. Well, that's witchcraft. Okay. My grandma was the, was the bishop's wife, and she read the horoscope on a regular basis. You see, we, when we started finding some of those things out, we started acknowledging them. We started confessing them as, as sin and asking God to stop the passing on of that generational stuff. But it behooves us, and that's where this writing on how does God function, here at the bottom of that, it says we should think and live life in such a manner that we are carefully evaluating what we do, fully knowing that it will impact those around us, even for generations. When I act stupid, when I do dumb things, you see, one of the biggest motives for me not getting into porn, because you know what? Porn's pretty attractive. God made us men to like female bodies but one of the biggest things that I don't want to do is I don't want my children I don't want my grandchildren I want my great-grandchildren to pay the price for my stupidity can you hear that I woke you up sorry Dan I get that's that's I'm sorry forgive me okay thank you yeah you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Wow. Okay. God is a jealous God. What does that mean? Is it a good jealousy or bad jealousy? It's a good jealousy. How many, how many, is there any jealous people here? I want to see hands for jealous people. Come on. Yes. Good, good, good. If you're a husband, you're a wife, you better be jealous. Okay. You mess with my wife. Hmm. <laughs> Ain't going to go well. <laughs> see, I'm jealous. God is jealous. He doesn't want somebody messing with his wife, and we happen to be his wife. Does that make any sense? He wants us. He wants the entire devotion of our heart. He don't want us to be looking at other crap. And he seriously means that if we can't govern ourselves, he will bring discipline into our lives. And if that doesn't work, we will pass on this junk generationally. It's what I see. It's what I think we're dealing with on a regular basis. So David, where does he get his concept of God? Here it is. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. You see, David got his correction of who God is from from Exodus 34. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Compassion-driven anger, that's what God's anger is. Slow, utterly under his control. It's redemptive anger that always stays love. Okay, there will be God's wrath, and that will be poured out upon the wicked, but his, his anger toward his people is always redemptive. Look what David says. He does, not always treat it, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as, Look what he says. It's what we talked about last night. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love. For those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, as a father has compassion that 's an interesting word it 's a Rahab love it 's a love that is beyond comprehension it's the love that that that, that gal had who, who whose baby was switched with the other gal, and King Solomon said, "Bring." A sword we're going to divide the baby and give the living baby half to each and she says no 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 give it to the other woman she loved her own child so much she was willing to give to to save that child's life she was willing to give it to somebody else you see it's that kind of love i think it's seven times that hosea was was told to love gomar with a rock love it would take a rock love to la- to love gomar wouldn't it okay it would But that's how, as a father has rock love for his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we're dust. I have a question. Who's David talking to in these Psalms? Who can tell me who David is talking to in Psalm 100? Who's he talking to? It's, It's the same person we need to talk to. It's ourselves. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You see, David was doing a lot of self-talk in his songwriting, in his hymns, in his, in his writings. He was self-talking. You see, he had to tell himself the truth, and he had to keep on rehearsing the truths about God so that so that it would, it would stay with him. It would be real. And we need to do the same thing. It's why I get up in the morning and spend time in, in the word because I need to stay knowing who God is. What kind of father did David have? Who can tell me what kind of dad David had? We're going to run out of time, quick. What kind of dad did David have? Don't tell, we don't know much about him? Well, Jesse had seven of his sons. He had seven other sons. He had them pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, Are these all the sons you have? So did you see that David did not place high on the list in the sons. Well, there's the runt. He's out tending the sheep. And you actually see more of this because you remember when David would, uh, David's dad told him to take food into the brothers who were in the army and they made fun of him? Go back and tend your sheep. Who do you think you are? You see, he, he wasn't high on the totem pole with his dad. So here you see David talking to himself and rehearsing what he knew that, of the writings of Moses. Pretty fascinating. Blessed be God. And here's Paul. Here's Paul. Where did he get it? Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, not out of our troubles, but in all our troubles, so that we can come whoops, went too fast we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You see, God wants us to understand who He is. He is a God of compassion. We are to be people of compassion. We are to represent him. We are to be image bearers. We are to be just that list in in, in, in Exodus 34. Go look at that. Read it over and over again and say, I am going to be this kind of man. I'm going to be this kind of woman. I am going to be a representative, an accurate representative of God. I am not going to take his name in vain. I am going to bear his name worthily. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. So we can then turn around and comfort other people. When you pray, say, Father. You see, when we understand who God really is, we, we want him to be our father, regardless what our dad was like. Regardless what our dad is like. Eighteen times, I mean, ten times in, in, in Matthew, is, it, he says he keeps on t- calling God Father. Jesus only called God Father except for one time, and that was when he was on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every other time, it was Father. You see, God, when I pray, I don't know how you pray, but I'm going to challenge you. Jesus says, when you pray, say Father. Okay, that will help, help us correct some of our concepts of who God is. There's two basic ways to approach God, business or family. I have something for you as a business or what I am to you. Performance, commitment, okay? You can read these, okay? Praying our King or our Father. You see, one is we become a working servant, the other we have a grateful relationship with our Father. We want, you see, God's plan is for Him to join His family in heaven and His family on earth together in one family eventually. We our mortal bodies are going to be changed into immortal bodies, and we are going to join his immortal family, and we are all going to become one. That's his plan that's a beautiful plan and it's going to happen so what is or was your father like and the next question is and what kind of a father are you or what kind of a mother are you okay because because here's why here's why is because we we plant the image of god on the people's lives around us how great is the love the father has lavished on us we looked at this last night that we should be called the children of god and that is what we are the reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we'll be like him, for we will see him as he is. We're going to be changed to become like him. That's so wonderful. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Brothers, we had to be, we, and sisters, we need to be motivated to live pure lives. We must be motivated to live pure lives. Pure in our heart, pure in our mind, pure with our eyes with our body parts, every part of us. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay. Uh, we're, gonna just, we're just going to wrap this up real quick here. Second uh, Corinthians says, for God who says, let sh- light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You see, we are supposed to see Jesus And we are to become like him. We are to see God's glory in him. And we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God, not us. We can't do it on our own, brothers and sisters. We can't. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit and us walking with him. It's the only way we can do it. We can't do it on our own. Can't do it in your flesh. I tried that. It didn't work. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. So you are imprinting the image of God on the people under you and around you. That's pretty important. Thank you, Father, for this time together. It's a blessing to be together to look at your word. Oh, Father, I was praying before we came that you would give words that we could present you as you truly are. There's so much more about you. We didn't even, we didn't even scratch the surface tonight. But, Father, may may the truths of of your word that we looked at this evening be planted so deep in our minds and in our hearts that it would change us, that we would see you truly as you are, that we would see the glorious Father and the glorious gospel that you came to give us redemption from our own selfish, self-centered people, that we would become like you, servants, grateful servants. Walking humbly. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.